Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. Hi, Tremel. First Cobalt, we are on the cusp of becoming North America's first and only producer of cobalt sulfate uh, through our refinery in Canada. We've also got a mineral exploration asset in the state of Idaho. And we've recently announced some work on uh, battery recycling, uh, namely processing black mass through the refinery in Canada. Fantastic. Trent, good to see you again. Haven't seen you since January. How have you been? Uh, excellent. Busy, uh, happy, uh, and, and, and loving, yeah, loving the, the phase that we're at as a, as a company right now. It's, it's kind of, it is, it is funny, isn't it? So you're, you're busy as anything right now after a few couple of years of being quite quiet. It's a very different environment, right? Different set of problems. It is. Oh, uh, you know, that's the, that's the commodity cycle that you're in, right? We, we had a, a great period, 17, 18. Uh, lost a bunch of shareholders and now they're you know they're starting to look us up again and uh, blessed with a good team uh, that's some good tailwinds and a bunch of things fell in place and as we come out of the virus and everybody wants to take holidays uh, it ain't looking so good for me but that's I'm, I'm fine with that yeah don't feel sorry if you try okay no. just so you know <laughs> just so you know right. uh <laughs> right i thought we'd have a catch up because you've got a lot done like i say you've been busy and you continue to be busy uh, let's look at it in three ways okay let's let's look at the uh the operational side of stuff let's look at the finance and then let's look at that big old offtake discussion okay so in terms of the operational side of things, you, there's a there's a couple of moving parts. So why don't you kind of run run people perhaps need to straight yeah. through those, please? Yeah, and so it's not you know this is a small project in in our industry in the resource world, right? We're talking 60 million US. There's no big mine, um, but but it's also aided by the fact that we've got an existing facility that ran for a decade, right? Producing nickel, copper, cobalt, silver. But what we need to do is double the footprint. So what that means as a brownfields project is there's no seminal moment where you say, okay, we're we're a go. It's all happening. So we call it pre-construction. Why? Because we don't have the bulldozers on site. We're not doing new footings and pouring concrete. But meanwhile, we've ordered our crystallizer uh, through GEA out of, out of Germany. It'll be built in America just to uh, deal with logistics risks. We're on the cusp of ordering our SX plant, which is that's that's at least as big as the facility that's there now. Uh, that'll have a name the firm yet, but a big, reputable firm. So that's that's happening. The detailed engineering is happening. We've done an inventory of what equipment we're going to reuse. So. You know, we're going from a plant that was 12 tons to one that's going to be 55 um, through just leach kinetics, but also bigger equipment. So we've got to figure out what can we reuse and what are we going to pull out and just leave off to the side for the recycling strategy. So all of that's happening. Asenko is still working with us. We haven't signed the EPCM, but it's it's a bunch of gray, right? And so any day now we'll sort of sign that up and we'll start doing the footings for the, for the building into fall. I don't like pouring concrete in winter in Canada. Uh, but but a lot going on in the owner's team, I think, with Mark Trevisio, who ran the uh, Glencore smelter in Sudbury. So he's got a process background. He Kid Creek zinc plant. He's ran a custom mill. So a real good handle on the flow sheet. So I would say since our DFS, uh, there are some changes in the flow enhancements to the flow sheet. We've, we've knocked CapEx. We've increased CapEx. So we're kind of still where we are. I see opportunities in the OpEx to keep improving. Uh, Mark has built a team. I think we're up to five people now around him. So the owner's team is going to start to grow. And that's going to facilitate, obviously, the transition to operation. Okay, the interesting in terms of enhancement. So you've shaved some costs and saved some costs, but you've also increased in other areas. Okay, so what's the timing in all of this? When's this thing ready to actually start generating some cash for you? Yeah, so we're you know we've been talking about October of next year. So you know as you as you ramp up, so into Q4, right? The material starts coming in through the wet commissioning, and we start producing product. So it's a it's a short timeline. We've got you know the permitting process. We got three key permits and a closure plan. So um, largely amendments to what was already there. One's already in hand. The other two 
permits probably within 60 days. It doesn't really impact us, frankly. Uh, we got the permit to take water, which is going to allow us now to electrify and turn the power back on and, and, and get some new toilets put in and, uh, you know, running water and, and Wi-Fi so we can actually kind of operate there. Uh, but the timeline is going to be, it's going to move pretty quickly uh, in terms of the, the earthworks. Um, but you're not going to see a lot. A lot of it's in a, you know, the building and everything happens inside as equipment. So as we round the bend on the end of 2021, then the equipment starts uh, starts finding its way up the site. And uh, yeah, I mean, through through this year, I guess the catalysts are really going to be on permitting, signing the EPCM, completing the financing. And then it's just the incremental stages of de-risking this process and probably more pilot plant work around black mass. Okay, so people are excited about that. If you got, you've got enough money for that to actually complete that, have you? Yeah, so we're, uh, we're really, really close. Um, so when you look at what we've been advertising, it's a 60 million US CapEx. Um, you know, you can add um, add another 5 million for, you know, working capital and contingency. So maybe it's 65. We've got, um, we have 19 million Canadian now in the treasury. I think we've probably invested about 3 million of that already in pre-construction. Uh, we've got uh, about 10 million Canadian now investments on the part of the federal and the Ontario government. That was our big catalyst in December that, that really got us back on the map. Uh, we've got uh, we've got a, an at-the-market program for up to 10 million. We haven't really done much with that. It's a six-figure raise so far. Um, and then the, the residual, the 45 million, we've been working on this debt financing now for a while. Our investors are very eager to see where that lies. Um, and look, the markets are stronger. And, and so the, the interest in financing this facility has gotten... Uh, has grown with that. Uh, we've got the same lender we've been working with. Um, you know, secured debt is always a journey, as you know. It just takes a while. The, the detailed, the legal and commercial is easy. The technical diligence, we're getting some actually great feedback from their engineering firm uh, that they're using, and we're incorporating that in. So uh, very, very soon we will come to market and, and be able to tell everybody we're fully financed. Now, it's an important catalyst. It's not holding us up. We've got enough in the treasury to keep ourselves going for a while. But obviously, that's a huge catalyst that should have a, a positive impact in the market. Well, you have enough of the equity left, I know, because we, you, know, you, you talked about, you know, from provincial and state, uh, you did a board deal when, last time we spoke, ten million bucks, right. so it's twenty million bucks. So, what will you have enough of that left to deal with the equity portion of the the, the build cost? We will, yeah, yeah. And in fact, the, and the government piece is not counted in that sort of six, nineteen now sixteen million. That'll that'll come in pro rata with the balance of funding. So. Okay. Um, yeah, the, the timeline looks looks great. And, and as I say, the I mean, the big thing we've ordered our crystallizer, so there's a deposit on that. Detailed engineering, the ESX plant, the big that's a big spend. So once we sign that, there's going to be some stage payment. So that's when I want to make sure we've got line of sight on the funding on the debt piece. So we're not we're not sweating, but we can't wait too much longer either to get that done. We've seen a couple of companies in the last couple of weeks with regards to when the debt funding gets agreed, and it's like uh, six months for them to actually draw down on it. And, delays happen, right? You're going to be okay. You're not going to need to go out to market again. No, we're good. Um, and, and the delay is what we're living now, frankly. Uh, we're dealing, CIBC has been working with us in the process. Uh, we're dealing with a big international bank that's known in the resource world. Uh, I would highlight, you know, we're not encumbering this asset with a stream or a royalty. So it gives you an idea of the kind of counterparty we're talking to. That was important to us uh, because you, you don't encumber a hundred year asset the way you would a six year gold mine, right? So um, that took a whole class of, of investor private equity and Kind of push them off to the side, um, but the waiting is now. It's the detailed diligence. It's the uh, the risk committee, all the bank approvals that you need, right? All the all the compliance approvals they need. Yes, it's coming from the DRC. What if? Where do you get your feet if it doesn't come from the DRC? And you know, where do you put your early product if it's off spec? So we're we're drilling through all of that, and you know, we've got answers to everything. So uh, it's just uh, it's a journey. 
Okay. Like one that's okay. Well. We'll, we'll we're going to talk about the feed, the feed in a second because there's a few moving okay. parts there. But um, let, let's just stick with the ops side of things now. So, do you mind if we just bounce down to Idaho and um, yeah. let us know what you're doing there? What are you focused yeah. on? So as we sit here today, uh, in the middle of June, um, you'll probably see a tweet on our feed where we had a mustering point yesterday. The team's mobilizing back to site. So, you know, that's an asset that I and I love it. I love it. I love the jurisdiction, but I love the asset as well for what it represents. Um, we haven't done much in two years. Cobalt price didn't warrant drilling, and drilling's expensive. Um, that's all about to change. Uh, so we've got uh, we've got. Some work going on right now where we're going to engage JDS to do some some engineering. I've got an internal PEA at this point because we're sitting right now on you know kind of five million tons of material. I'd like to double that, and I think we can um, over the next two drill seasons. But what we have there today, what we know that we have is you know, 4.8, 4.9. Now this is to be clear and indicated and inferred, uh, but of high grade material with great continuity. Uh, we're we're seeing intercepts of up to 30 meters, and so I'm I'm excited this year when we get into the mine planning scenarios, right? Uh, bulk mining underground three existing adits. I, I think the unit costs are going to look relatively favorable. We've got to get the tons up. Um, so, so this summer is going to be one whereby we, you know, finally get back to drilling, start to grow the resource, but start to define some parameters. What, what are the next, what does it look like? What's a five-year timeline to production up at Iron Creek? And what might that look like from an operational basis? We've locked up a lot of land. We've more than doubled our footprint up there. Uh, the host rock, the strike extent of our of our deposit is now 900 meters. I think we can double that. And then there's just a lot to the east and the west. So we've got all that tied down before the market gets frothy and everybody starts claiming or staking claims around us. We've, we've got that set of pinned down. Um, we, and we've got a satellite deposit that we're going to actively target this year with drilling. And so Iron Creek, if I say I want to double the resource, I think we've got other three known satellite deposits. One will drill this year to start to get a feel for do we have a district scale opportunity, you know, uh, on our known footprint, outside our known footprint, on our patent, outside our patent? Uh, and that's starting to get some inbound calls for some some interesting partners and investors. Well, okay, you say um, the market, before the market gets frothy and you talk about that the, the price hasn't been there. I mean, cobalt is a difficult market in terms of, you know, spot. It's, it's a very strange way of... of the way that the numbers are captured and gathered and, and, and put out. So what's giving you the confidence that the carbon price is going to move? I think it's just the fundamentals. Yeah, it's just looking through the, the supply and demand. And if you, you know, whether it's Benchmark or CRU or... It hasn't, but it hasn't really moved much recently. It hasn't really moved yeah. much. So where's the confidence coming from? Yeah, so we had that move really Q4 into early Q1, right? And 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 I, I caution people, uh, if you're going to look it up, LME is not a great source. Fast markets is the right place to go look for, for a good quote. So on the metal side, you know, we popped up to 25, then dropped down to maybe 20 or so now. Uh, the sulfate, same thing, sulfate went up to about 30, dropped down to sitting 24, 25. So for us, the relevant market is the hydroxide feed that we're buying and then the sulfate that we're selling, not the metal, which is what everybody references. And when you look at that, and and, and these quotations are, are relatively new. You know, they've been developed over the last two years. Through past markets, I guess the one that's publicly available would be SMM, Shanghai Metals Market. You get a pretty good price discovery there. But if you look over the last 18 months, 24 months of the, the hydroxide to sulfate spread, forget the metal because that gets weird. Um, you've got consistently a five and a half, six dollar margin that's being achieved. And so they do move in extremely close correlation to one another. We're, we published a, a 236 per pound operating cost out of financing on top of that and some GNA. There's some a good margin. That's how we come up with this 35 million USD uh, EBITDA potential on an annual basis from our refinery before okay. recycling or anything else we do. 
Okay, you press the so you press the, the green button. How how much are you allocating to getting things moving there? Obviously, as you just outlined, you you, you think now's the time to actually start the process. So, how much oh, are you I'm sorry, yeah, back, yeah, I mean, back at Ida. So, if we take our our sixty million capex at at, at at the refinery and that gets us cash flow positive, um, the budget at Iron Creek yeah, contingent on a couple of things here. We'll throw a couple of million bucks out this year, uh, okay. maybe more. We'll see, maybe two to three million. Drill a few thousand meters. Um, next year is going to be the big drill year, but we'll see how many meters we can put in this year. Uh, we were fairly cautious. The first drill campaign we did in 18 was confirmatory of an Aranda historic resource. The second one, we did a bit of step up, but it's mostly infill. We had this hunch that we had a really good continuous deposit, which is not what you would see north of us. A lot of the deposits that you would see are the mineralization occurrences elsewhere in the Idaho belt are high grade, but not very good mineral continuity. And, and we, we wanted to confirm that because for a, sophisticated investor this looks really attractive as a mining operation or as a partner this year now we've got that we in fact our, our grade stayed constant when we infilled now that is the time to start stepping out and go a little part go the 150 meters go the 200 meters and start to see where this continues we're open on strike we're open at depth so that that'll be uh, it'll be fun to get that going again okay and, and um what's happening with the uh, kuya silver then kuya silver there uh, they've done some i don't they publish results they've done some drilling i've seen mm -hmm. some pictures i think they're doing some great work so so Kuya, they, they bought outright the, the Kerr Lake area of our, of our, of our footprint up in uh, Ontario around the refinery. And then they've got an option. I think they've got about a month to serve notice that they want an option to exercise on the entire belt, uh, our entire land position. Um, so the drilling they've done, I'm, I'm encouraged with what I'm seeing. They've been very uh, deliberate and, and, and they're narrow vein miners, right? Uh, developers seem to be miners. So they understand the style of deposit. And I like the way they've approached it in following structure, following veins. Um, I expect some good news from them before too long, and um, yeah, we're we're guiding them. You know, there's a lot of information share, but they're a pretty smart group. They don't need too much from us, frankly. Right, but and where's the upside for your shareholders with regards to what's happening there? I mean, do you just yeah, sit and hold? I mean, what, what's the strategy? Yeah, we got a few million in in Kuya shares, so we're we're sitting and holding that, and we we're not going to be shareholders forever. Uh, but uh, David Stein and his team are doing good work, so we're not gonna we don't want to undermine that either. So we'll we'll work with them whether we sell it as a block or dribble it out over time. No, no rush given that where our treasury is. I think the, uh, that's the short term upside, I suppose, and that, that has appreciated for us. Uh, the longer term is, is the JV as they earn in on the larger part of the camp. Um, you know, Kerr, Kerr has been mined and this is the, this is where they're starting and it makes sense because there's so much, so much historic mining, they're high grade, the structures are known, go and figure it out, go test some, some exploration theses that, that they have and that we share with them. But then when they do that, once they go into the rest of the camp, what I call the cobalt central part. So if you picture, Hundred years ago, you had this booming town of cobalt, silver mines with you know byproduct cobalt, and then uh, some thirty kilometers to the south, you had Silver Center, which which is now forest. But in the middle, there was a lot of overburden over some very similar structural features, and, and that's what we never had time to do as a company. We went to Idaho and then the refinery, and that's what I'm keen for Kuya to do. So the upside for me uh, is going to be when they start drilling a couple of those Schumann Arch and a couple of those other targets that we had identified. Uh, and if we got a 30% carry, then we'll, we'll, we'll benefit from any discoveries they make. Okay, so you're, you're a patient share, shareholder. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Hey, so talking of patient shareholders, you did a deal with Glencore. We did. Well, we did. We, we converted, uh, we made them shareholders, right? So we um, they had we had 5 million US in debt. So as we were solving for our 45 million, we had to add that 5 million US at Glencore. Uh, and we did convert them into, uh, into shares uh, to eliminate the debt, which was a great thing to get rid of. Are they... Um Obviously, you're in discussions around feed and so forth. Does this make the conversation a little bit more difficult or a little bit easier? I mean, how would you? 
position. Yeah. So, so when I when I look, I mean, Glencore, they've been uh, on the technical side, they've been good partners, right? Where uh, where fourth half my team came out of Falconbridge, uh, including Mark Trevisio, who's building the refinery, and my chairman. And so we've had a great exchange, <coughs> excuse me, with the uh, the Sunbury crew, including XPS, their, their technology center. Um, when we came to the, the commercial arrangement, when you and I first started talking over a year ago, it was going to be a tolling arrangement, right? Where they were going to provide the feed and do all the offtake. And we had a window of opportunity for us to put that aside. I think there was a risk-off appetite in the market and maybe 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 within, I won't speak for them, but maybe within their, their shop as well. And then we turned it around and now we're buying from Glencore and we're buying from IXM indirectly China Mali. Um, and so as a result, now we get full control of the offtake and the product. And so the relationship is still there. It's still a good one, but we're not, take this in the right way, we're not beholden to them. We're not beholden to anybody. And with the tailwinds now, there with a project almost fully funded, the risks, the phone calls are like, it's, it's, it's nice. I mean, we're getting calls from investors and we're getting calls from the battery supply chain, government agencies, Canada, US. Um, so the credibility is there and I don't think we need anybody to be successful. Having said that, everybody we talk to is about a hundred times bigger than us. So our future is, you know, grow or, you know, you grow or get swallowed, but I don't worry about it. Like, just build it. Let's create some value and then we'll, we'll worry about that in a year or two once we're, once we're there. Okay, so let's so let's talk about um, that. You mentioned a couple of options there for you. You're getting a few phone calls coming in. You, you've got a refinery, or will have a refinery. People are going to be interested for sure. So yeah. taking control is important because yeah. you can make decisions. You're not reliant on other people to work out what you need to do. So, um, in terms of that, that the, the the this North American ecosystem, which we're seeing with critical minerals and this, you know, automotive companies trying to, you know, get control of their supply chain. You know, there's contracts out there which, um, you know, are being signed for 5, 10, 15 years. People are a bit nervous about it, especially with COBOL, right? So you're, the, the, tell us about the sort of the, the structure that you see you putting in place because you've got to get feed in and you got to sell it and you got to make a margin in between. It's real simple, money in, money out, right? So yeah. how, how are you picturing it in your head in terms of where are you going to get your feed from? Where's your preferred route given? Because I, I suspect if you're anything like the European ecosystem, you people are going to want you to get it from within sort of North America plus friends, right? Mm -hmm. So. Mm -hmm. What are the conversations that you're having? Yeah, so there, there's, I guess there's two. There's the narrow story around our cobalt, and then there's the broader story around creating a battery park in Canada. Maybe we'll come to that. Come to that we'll come to the recycling bit and so forth in a minute. But let's focus on the core business. The cobalt. Yeah, yeah. The next, the next eighteen months. And so, um, if you look at the supply chain today, most cobalt's coming out of the DRC, and certainly for the salts business, the battery business, it is the DRC. It's pretty much the only game in town, unless you want to pay extra to convert alloy product and, and and put it into solution to, to make it into a into a crystal or a salt form so um our players our competitors if you will is china that's 80 percent of the market and the other is umicore in finland everybody's buying from the drc so we're not we're not going to buck that trend but what we are doing differently is we're going mine head straight to our refinery gate so no traders in between no blending we can't touch artisanal and god bless them i hope we figure that out but i just we just can't help with that solution right now uh, we're buying, there's four big operations in the DRC, right? You got Mutanda, which is care maintenance. You got KCC, you got Tank A, and you got RTR. Three miners operating those. Those are the obvious sources for us for the next few years. It's um, it's an easy leach. It's an intermediate product, an easy leach. It grades 30% or more when it comes to, into our door. It's well known. It's abundant. Now, so this is the question I get from the lender. What, well, what if, you know, what if 
supply has never been interrupted in the DRC uh, through strife and civil war, uh, copper and cobalt's always flowed, but um, there are opportunities out there. Uh, longer term, North America, yes, Idaho for sure, recycling, yes, there are some nickel products we could bring in. So, you know, once this plant is up and running, uh, I mean, anything's possible, but the easiest path for us to production and the most obvious was to go from the DRC. And so sustainability is key, sourcing, traceability, and other than BMW, who's buying metal, the rest of, I would say, the rest of the OEM world has accepted that there is a right way to get your cobalt from the DRC. Um, we don't like talking about it, so it gets downplayed. They talk about cobalt-free batteries. It's really cobalt light batteries. Um, so you got a, you got a branding issue, but I think the supply chain issues are, uh, were years ahead of where we were, you know, in 2018. Okay. I mean, I, I read about an initiative in the, the DRC where they, you know, you've got, you know, up to a million artisanal miners, right? In the country. It's a lot of people. Um, and they are trying to kind of create a sort of cooperative, as it were. There's a real yeah. good initiative there. And I think that should appease a lot of the concerns uh, yeah. if it can be delivered properly. I mean, are you hearing anything about that in terms of the way they're advancing it, whether it's being taken up, whether people are accepting it in country? Yeah, so there is a there is a, a, an NGO working on an initiative, the Fair Cobalt Alliance. Uh, by memory, I think I want to say... ERG, Glencore, Tesla, VW, there is a good collect, I might be throwing names that I shouldn't in there, I'm not sure, but there's a good collection of, of heavy hitters that are involved in trying to make artisanal legitimate. And, and this, this is sustenance living, so you're, we're not gonna get away from artisanal mining, it's just, and Frank, our head of exploration, worked for first quantum in country, so we got a pretty good handle of the supply chain there. It's just, it's just too messy for a small company without a footprint there. So we're gonna go, we're gonna go audit the four big mines. And, and get comfortable and audit our own supply chain and have it done by a third party through the the, co- the responsible minerals initiative. But yeah, there there is a there's so there's, there's a fair cobalt alliance. The other thing, Trafigura is working with the state agency, right? The, the Jeca means to try to provide a legitimate supply chain. Mm. And a lot of I think a lot of it comes down to oh yeah, it's just it's like anything, shine the sunlight, right? Get rid of the opaqueness of the intermediate trading houses that are set up in country. As long as you can point back to where the material is coming from, which is why the big guys are looking at guys and girls. Are now looking at blockchain. Yeah, you know, shine the light. We can we can make this work. And uh, it, it's that middleman that we will not go near for exactly that reason. Okay, so there's for the next eighteen months. Fine, that, that that's the the model you're you're choosing. Um, how quickly does Idaho, Idaho or could Idaho replace, or would it be an uh, uh, as well rather than an instead of? Yeah, I think I think it would be an it would be an as well uh, coming coming in the door. Um, you know, Idaho might produce to the 2000 tons of material per year in a, in a concentrate form. Uh, but you know, when I look at Idaho, I see more than Iron Creek. I see more than Jerboa. I see, I see multiple opportunities there. And so the dialogue, I guess that we're having, we're the only real active player in the belt in terms of looking that are beyond our footprint. Um, 2017, 18, there were dozens of people. So that's why we stake now before I, before it gets frothy, but we're getting calls from you know, copper companies and ESG funds and, People say, like, where do I get my cobalt? And that's, that is the narrative. And I think Idaho can be meaningful, but meaningful, 130,000 tons produced per annum, of which about 100 is coming out of the DRC. That's a big lump if we're producing 2,000 and Gerbois is producing 2,000. But now you got 4,000 as opposed to, you know, the other 30 being produced everywhere else in the world, including Indonesia and some far flung places. So if you can see your way to three or four mines in the state of Idaho, you start to get this idea of a, a decent North American supply and maybe even regional processing at some point. But uh, crystal ball gazing, probably not 
a great use of my time. You got to think of these things. I mean, short term, yeah, maybe we're four or five years out before we would see feed come to our door. Okay, uh, that's where I wanted to get to. Also, with um, Glencore not being a significant cog, you know, with 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 a new new your new arrangement with them. How do you, I mean, where's the marketing com- skill set come from? Is there, is there a need or are people coming to you and do you know what? Putting a contract together is pretty easy. Yeah. It's fairly standard or are you, are you missing out there? Do you, do you, right? Yeah, no, we're, we're in great shape. So uh, we recently hired Michael Insulin from ERG. ERG, I think they've got, um, they're, I mean, they're the second biggest cobalt miner in the world, a big diversified base metals producer, but they're private. So a lot of people don't know them. Um, Michael was their cobalt expert in-house. He's based in Luxembourg, been around the world, knows all the players. He's got a great network in Europe and Asia. So he's our he's our in-house marketing uh, individual. Uh, he's got a fantastic Rolodex. And since he's arrived, I spend at least a third of my time on meetings with battery supply chain people, precursor battery makers, the chemical companies, and the OEMs. Um, on an OEM call, keeping you waiting a few minutes before our, before our chat this morning. So. Um, I, I, he will tell you, one, we've got it all sold already, right? We did that deal with Stratton, which is a, really, it's a backstop. We have the right to put 100% to them, and then we can draw that down to a diminutive amount. Uh, we could sell our product three or four times over to the metal traders. That's not a problem. But the real benefit for us and for our investors is going to be that cornerstone investor or two, a well-known brand name in the battery supply chain. And so, so that's what's happening now. So how do you explain comments? And this is a question sent in, actually. Yep. The great Ross Beatty saying there's not enough cobalt round for it to be a feasible component in batteries. And look at someone else saying Biden and the DOE uh, in, in, with regards to cobalt and nickel uh, exclusion in battery, it, it's just going to be designed out. What are you hearing? You spoke to an OEM just before yep. uh, we jumped on this call. Is, uh, who's right? Ross is a smart miner and a good capital markets guy. Um, I'm not sure he's a battery expert, and I, and, I, and I like Roth, but you know the cathode has changed a lot, right? The NCM 111, where it was one third cobalt, yeah, we can't we can't power the world that way. So we're moving from the 622 to the 811, so 20% cobalt down to 10% cobalt and beyond. We're going to go to 5%, and that's kind of where the next iteration is. It's not easy to get from a 622 to an 811 from a manufacturing perspective. It has to be an inert environment. It's a whole different plant setup. We'll get there, and then we'll go beyond. The, the, the raw material purchasers of some of the most ardent anti-cobalt we're going to get out of the battery type companies are telling me yeah, we're not there yet. And, and, and they're also admitting that, look, the, the trade-off, the risk reward of taking cobalt out of your cathode completely as opposed to getting it down as small as you can, it's just not worth it, right? Look at all the, look at all the hand wringing now on nickel. We're going to go to Indonesia. We're going to get nickel. It's not going to be green. It's not going to be friendly. You got deep sea tailings, high energy intensity, the whole ESG framework gets really questioned on the nickel component. So I think the cobalt piece, figure out your sourcing and the whole dilemma over the branding goes away because you take cobalt out, two things happen. You've got risk of thermal runaway. If you're going to pack that much energy, increasing amounts of energy in a small little nickel rich battery, well, you got to control that energy density and that's what cobalt does. And then there's a buildup of dandrites. There's a there's an engineering issue or chemicals issue that cobalt helps present. You can't have a 10 year battery if you got a buildup of dandrites, the efficiency of battery just, just goes way down. So I, I think it's a lot of noise. It's a lot of misinformation. Um, and even the talk from auto executives about their cobalt-free battery, they're not cobalt-free. Look at the patents. There's still, there's still cobalt in there. So I, I, don't, I, I think the next decade we're fine. I agree. We, we, we spoke with a um, couple of German 
automotive manufacturers or certain representatives of those, uh, they are scrambling around looking for supply. They want to sign yeah. 10, 15 year contracts. They need yes. everything that's out there right now. So yeah, um, I, I think there's a little bit of misinformation, a little bit of scaremongery, a little bit of misunderstanding, et cetera. Um, but the, it may be, as you say, it's being reduced, the dependence on cobalt is being reduced and there will be different use cases, but from what the OE, you know, what I'm hearing from these automotive manufacturers, from the horse's mouth, as it were, they need it, all of it. Interesting yeah. times. And, and, the, and your, your point about the, the OEMs is, is interesting because the, the intensity of the conversations and the frequency of the conversations have suddenly picked up. Mm. And that has to do with just Europe exploding in terms of its own yeah. infrastructure development. But now North America is like it's and, and forget it's not, it has nothing to do with the presidential election. This is already coming. Right? We've, we're doubling the number of EVs in the market, uh, the models uh, this year. Um, so it, I mean, it was coming. And now all of a sudden people are like, we got to hurry up. Right? We're building cars here. Where's the rest of the supply chain? And it's um, it's fascinating to be the first investment on the part of the Canadian government in the upstream of the supply chain. I know we're not the last. We got three billion set aside. The U.S. has an even bigger arsenal. But these next six, eight months, we're going to see some really big announcement, billion dollar announcements in North America. And it's going to start to have a look and feel of what we see in Europe today. Okay, well, let's 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 have a look at the next bit. Okay, and I, I don't necessarily want to get ahead of ourselves. I'm sure you don't want to get ahead of yourself, right? Because you've got a lot on your plate. But battery parks and recycling, it's all part of that ecosystem. What makes you think that you're going to be best placed to be you know, front running that. Well, it's, it's yeah, part of it's the first mover advantage in our proximity to the U.S. And tariff barriers. I mean, we haven't talked about that, but you know, at cobalt sulfate coming in from China has got a twenty-six and a half percent tariff barrier into the U.S. What we is that? Tell us what that is. Uh, that's just yeah, it's 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 Trump era uh, trade barriers that were put up against you know Chinese supply. It's a critical mineral initiative, but even into Europe, I can't remember what barrier and the the VAT and the and the tariffs into Europe. I think are six and a half for Chinese speed versus zero for us. So we've got some good advantages in, in various markets. But uh, when, I, when I get back to what's happening here in this market, what makes us unique, uh, it takes years to permit a facility like ours. We'll be operating in under 18 months. To get there, and we, yeah, I alluded to this, I mean, to get there, idea, the ideal state for me and state is you're not just producing the cobalt, but you're, the recycling is an easy ad. If you could start producing um, a, a nickel sulfate on the same footprint, then you've got the beginnings of what we call a battery park. That's the precursor plant. And that's the critical step, right? If you can bring a precursor plant and set it up right next to us, then you no longer need to take that cobalt or that nickel and put it into a salt form. You keep it into solution, it goes into the precursor plant, you've saved a step, you've increased your margin. And so this is years out for us, four or five years, but these are early conversations that we're starting to explore. And yeah, you gotta, you gotta walk before you run, but this is kind of the long range planning that we're discussing with chemical companies and with government uh, internally with some of our senior executives. Sounds expensive. You're going to need some friends. Yeah. Yeah. We'll need a lot of friends to get it done. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Hey, Trent. Well, look, um, given you kept me waiting at the beginning, right? I'm going to throw you yeah. off this call because I got places to be. Perfect. All right. We'll do it again. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. We're a great catch up with you. I'm glad to see things are moving along uh, so Thank well. Um, it'd be nice to see some of this um, pressure come off your share price. Um, be interesting to see what Let the next say, few weeks are. Yeah, yes. Yes. Thanks for pointing that. So we had, I will say that we had one big seller. I won't name them. Um, nothing to do with our business. They're gone. But our stock in that period went from 39 cents to 29. I think we're up to 32. We'll come back. 
I, I can't even worry, begin to imagine who that would it could have been. I can't. I just I wouldn't know. If anyone writes in, I, I wouldn't know. Always there. Thank you. <laughs> Look, okay, great, great as always. Um, stay in touch. Let's know how you get on. Sounds, right. sounds busy times, uh, exciting times, and um, I wish you well. All right, sir. Thank you. Good, good catch up. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to Cruxcast? or our website, cruxinvestor.com, and of course, our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming, and we'll speak to you again soon.